Hi, I'm Caroline Amos. And I'm Raymond McAnally. And we are fatigued. (laughs) (laughs) Chrissy, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today, especially because you are, gosh, how many hours ahead of us that are you? Five, uh, if you are on the eastern seaboard. Um, I am. I live in a small village between Winchester and Andover. In uh, Andover is in Hampshire, in in the UK, obviously. Obviously, uh, and it's about it's about an hour away from London by train. Nice. I also I was doing a little. I was nerding out. Um, and you live. You're about forty five minutes from Salisbury, correct? That is right. That's where oh. my daughter lives. Yes. Ah. It was one of my favorite places I've ever visited. I was very happy oh, really? to see that. Yeah, I think it's just so beautiful down there. Um, it is time to get back. Yeah, yeah, gorgeous. I did a fantastic. There's a fantastic trail. It's a pilgrim's trail that takes you from Salisbury Cathedral to Winchester Cathedral, and it goes. <gasps> I've over. done a bit of that trail. Have you the Clarendon Way? Yes, yes. I studied at Oxford for a semester um, and tried to get out as much as absolutely possible. That is such a beautiful area. It really is, yeah. So, Chrissy, you are uh, one of the founders of Absent. Yes, I am the founder of Absent. Um, you are the founder, the sole I am the founder. founder. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it all started uh, in 2012 when I lost my sense of smell after a, a really bad virus that sort of went uh, to sinus infection, and when that cleared, uh, I had no sense of smell. And that was a very unsettling experience for me. Um, It seemed to happen overnight. Uh, Just I woke up that day and and I went to the bathroom and toured all the things in the back, you know, the toothpaste, the shampoo and all that sort of thing. Couldn't smell anything. Um, I I looked it up uh, on the Internet, as most people do, and saw that it sometimes happens after you have a cold. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just wait. You know, it'll, it'll be okay. But a couple of weeks went by and it wasn't okay. And I, um, and that was kind of the beginning of my, um, at times, terrifying journey uh, through smell loss and then out the other side. Uh, it did take me a very, very long time to recover. Um, and mm. I think we are seeing that now in the patient group that is uh, with us because of COVID-19. Um and more on that later. But mm-hmm. um, I lost my sense of smell then in 2012. Um, I saw a couple of ENTs and found out about smell training from one of them. So that mm-hmm. did exist. It did exist. Um, and in the, the first ever research paper on smell training was written in 2009. So in 2012, it was still brand new. And yeah. I remember, remember clearly... Um, this this ENT he told me about it um, after nine months. So let me just think that would have been uh, April of 2013. And wow. he told me about smell training. And then I got home and I sort of looked it up on the, I, I went into one of the Facebook groups, one of the much older Facebook groups for smell loss. And I, I went in and I said, uh, does anyone know anything about smell training? And I was immediately shot down by everyone said, oh, that's just a bunch of hocus pocus. You know, that's uh, how can that possibly work? Um, you know, that that's just they just say that to make you feel better. And so that was kind of the beginning. That was that was my uh, initiation, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it had been prescribed to me by a doctor. And so I started looking into it and 
trying to get um, the articles that described it a little bit more. But the thing that um, that frustrated me, both when I was as I left the office of that ENT and then later when I started reading the articles, is that nowhere does it say what to actually do. Mm. And so that uh, kind of um, honing my technique and trying out every way I could think of to smell train and how to deliver, you know, whether to smell train from the bottles or, or the, the jar idea was mine, um, you know, to, to keep trying and keep trying different methods and just see what I could find out about myself. Well, it sounds and, like you were on the ground floor of the methodology. You know, you oh, were. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the the technique that you see uh, on the absent smell training pages, making making up the jars, the way to do it, and all that. That was all. That was all my trial and error um, to to create a smell training protocol that was efficient and that gave people the greatest level of confidence. And so you I- get this you get this diagnosis and then it doesn't sound like there was a whole lot of information. What did you first, what, what was the foundational um, prescription to, to start this smell training? So what the doctor said to me was you get these four essential oils and you sniff them twice every day. I mean, I do that just, just for fun. Like that's what they're (laughs) prescribing. (laughs) And and I and I just kept thinking to myself because I had a really long train journey back from that appointment, um, and I just remember sitting there thinking, "How am I going to know if that's working? And right. what if what if I what if I do it wrong? And and those initial um, sort of anxieties about it are the ones that I see coming back into the Facebook group and onto the Absent Network every day." People are new to smell training. They all have the same anxieties. You know, what if I'm mm-hmm. doing it wrong? What if I'm not doing it long enough? What if I'm sniffing too hard? What if I'm not sniffing enough? What if what my that- oils? What if the oils aren't strong enough? What if? How often do I need to change the oils? All these, all these questions, I asked myself at the very beginning, and that's why I've devised the kit the way it's devised. That's why I give instructions the way I give them, and I think that you know. Uh, after, well, um, eight years, um, I think we've got a really good system that, that seems to work well. In what volume pre-COVID were you seeing people contact you and need smell training? How, how was this prevalent? I, we've We only heard about it in the context of being something that's somewhat common for cancer patients. Um, Right. So what happens with cancer patients is that the chemotherapy can interrupt very often their sense of true taste. So they'll get metallic feeling in their mouth. Um, they can also have an alteration to their sense of smell. So that is quite common. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, we're working together with a group here in the UK who help cancer patients um, to enjoy their food and to cook with them in ways that makes their food more palatable. So yes, cancer is one of those things that can um, put you off your food and alter your experiences of taste and smell. But um, when you ask, you know, where we were before the pandemic hit, we had 1500 members in the Facebook group. And just to, to turn the, turn the clock back a tiny bit more, we um, in 2015, I started my first 
Facebook group. And that Facebook group was called Smell Training, pure and simple. And in that group, uh, people just found me like that slowly. Um, I had a very, very steady growth. I I can remember when I had had 100 members, I thought, wow, that's just so many. Um, (laughs) Very, very steady growth of 1% per week. I mean, just a perfectly straight line from inception right the way up until, say, January, February of 2020. So beginning of February 2020, we had 1,500 members in the group. And then things started to heat up. So we got suddenly more and more traffic, more and more people asking uh, to come in because they had lost their sense of smell from the from the coronavirus. And that had reached such a crescendo uh, or what felt at that time like a crescendo. I mean, I think maybe it was like when 300 new people came in from COVID-19, I thought the nonsense has to stop. You know, this is just that the, the COVID-19 is is overwhelming our, our group. Because, of course, uh. in the group, we had people who had head injuries, people who had polyps, people who had chronic rhinositis. So there were people from all different groups. Um, under this one umbrella, which was called not being able to smell. And suddenly Mm -hmm. uh, we had too many people with COVID-19. So uh, on the night of the 24th of March, I thought I would start a new Facebook group for people with COVID-19 smell loss. Okay. One second. So by the 24th of March, I I know around the world, this, um, the timelines are are different, but that is for us in the U S that is very early on in what we would call the pandemic. Yeah. So, well, it was it was exploding already. I mean, on the 24th of March, uh, Italy was already uh, in mm-hmm. northern Italy. That was dramatic mm-hmm. as, as it was in Spain. Mm-hmm. So um, it was it was perfectly clear that uh, from reports that I was getting, uh, especially on Twitter, that smell loss was a feature of COVID-19. And um, so, yeah, so then so then I started this new Facebook group um, just for people with COVID-19 smell loss. And today we have 23,000 people in that group. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And the original group now has close to 7,000. And the then we had to start another group for people with parosmia. And that group has, I think, 8.3,000. So wow. yeah, altogether that's uh, that's about thirty nine thousand people from fifteen hundred. Oh so that's that's a lot of people. I guess I'm I'm curious to know um, when you started getting this influx of uh, of COVID patients. Did that have Did that require you to have to change anything about the absent? mission, the statement or anything? How did that, how did that impact absent? Well, I, looking back on the, you know, the genesis of, of absent, you know, we, we had our um, uh, official launch on anosmia awareness day in, in 2020. And that was the February 27th. So we just a year ago. Oh, wow. Um, and we, got charitable status in the UK in May of 2019. 
And at the, and that coincided with launching our new website. Um, I had created the smell training app, Sniff, the smell training app. So that's a, a, a little web-based app that you can use to smell train with. So it will count a clock. So the smell training app um, is, is just a simple web-based app that you can watch. There's a little clock that will count down with so that you know how many seconds you're spending on each one. There are images that will help you visualize. Um, so it's a simple idea that I had had just right from the very beginning. I mean, even in, in 2014, I knew exactly that I wanted to create this app. So all that had been created back in 2019. And just just through through luck and sort of trying to forecast what might be needed in the future, I had all these things prepared. And, and I was really working largely by myself. I had a, a classmate of mine um, who uh, is now one of my trustees uh, from We Go Way Back. Um, and she she was sort of helping me get set up. Um, we we built the website uh, together. Um, I mean, we didn't actually do the work. We had an outside um, you know group building the website. But all these things were really done just based on intuition, what I thought we might need down the line and and really luckily all the things that we planned and put into place were exactly what we needed when the time came. That is amazing. That really yeah. is a lesson in timing. I mean, yeah, it's exactly. it's incredible to think that you you got all of this accomplished a year before this pandemic had hit. Yeah. I mean, that is kudos to you. Congratulations and I think that's wonderful. I mean, the things that we had to skill up for when all these hundreds of people started pouring into the group were things like um, uh, translating some of the important PDF documents that we have on the website that mm -hmm. help people make smell training kits um, to learn the technique and all that kind of thing. So we translated those into the languages that were necessary uh, as we were finding out. So uh, Brazilian, Portuguese, um, Italian, uh, Spanish, you know, as, as, those requirements became obvious. We prepared those and we stored them on the website. Um, the website has become like a huge library of information. There's almost too much information in there. So sometimes uh, people have difficulty navigating around it. But when we use the Facebook group, you know, we try and point people to the right places where they get the right help. Um, Another thing that we did with the, we were assisted um, financially by the British Rhinological Society. So that's the professional body here in the UK that governs ENT surgeons, as they're mm -hmm. called, uh, ENT consultants. They uh, gave us a grant. And with that grant, we created some simple videos, which also reside on the website. So that's called Nosewell. And that is a simple information guide for anyone who's just lost their sense of smell. And it's got everything that you need to know on there. It's got further links, but most importantly, it has these videos so that people can actually watch smell training, see it happening in real time. Um, we've got people demonstrating how to use nasal rinse bottles, how to use steroid sprays the right way, how to use drops, etc. So it's really an excellent resource. We were just looking at the analytics on that 
Uh, and it's just always amazing to me. Uh, I've just been communicating with the British Rhinological Society and we've been patting each other on the back because it's really hmm. a very, very useful resource. And not just here, but all over the world. Going back a little bit, because you've had a personal experience in the smell training, having success for for you uh, and your and your personal condition, your website and everything you're doing is filled with information on the kits and and um, uh, these videos now, all those things. What is it? What does it feel like for the smell training to work? If you could share a little bit about the, that experience, if it's possible. And just so that I understand, so you want me to tell you about what the smell training journey is for a patient. Is that correct? My instinct is, yeah, is that that might be helpful, inspirational, give someone who is at the beginning of this a little hope. Yeah. Okay. So there are a couple of really important things that people need to understand about smell training. Number one, it's not a cure. It is a supportive technique that will hasten your natural recovery. We know that with COVID-19, there are two groups of people who lose their sense of smell. One group will have no nerve damage and they will recover quite quickly and they will recover completely. So those are the people who just have a similar to having a close peg on their nose they can't smell for a while. They don't feel congested, but they they have free airflow, but they just can't smell. And when the virus clears, they're back to normal and there's absolutely no problem at all. I think that's both Caroline and I's experience with it. Yes. Okay, great. There is another group who, and, and again, the mechanisms are not 100% clear on what's happening. We know that the coronavirus invades what's called the support cells. Um, not as much is known about the support cells in the olfactory neurons as uh, is known about um, other kinds of cells that um, interpret the signals. So the support cells are a bit of a wild card. We're, we're still learning more about that. But where that damage has happened, it interrupts the signals that take the volatile molecules through the entire process, the whole cascade uh, of of the smell process um, that takes the sends a signal up to the olfactory bulb and from there projects higher up into the brain uh, and all the way to the orbitofrontal cortex. Wow. So for those people who have had the virus get into their uh, olfactory system, there seems to be some kind of nerve damage going on, and for them, recovery will be longer. To further confound this picture, with COVID-19, there are um, fluctuations that people report. So they'll say, I lost my sense of smell. It started to come back. Then it dropped off again. Then I got parosmia. Then things started to look up again. Then it dropped off again. I felt like I had no sense of smell. So there are, it's a, it's a, a frequently changing picture. And this is something Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily recognize from pre-COVID post-viral smell loss. So we're still learning about what's going on. We're still seeing plenty of people recover after 11 months. Um, So I think there's still reason for people to be um, very optimistic. And in my own case, I had 
no sense of smell. And it took me two years to get to the point where I had functional anosmia, that is to say, any kind of a vague sense of smell. Mm. And at that point, I had terrible parosmia. And it took me probably six years to get back to a quality of life that I felt was good enough. And that brings me to the next uh, really important thing that I that I would say to anyone who has lost their sense of smell from the coronavirus. Uh, And they always want to know, does it does anybody really recover? So they'll say that they'll say that or they'll say, show me someone who's recovered 100%. Uh And I always say to them, smell loss is an injury. It's not an illness. So an illness that you might recover from completely is one thing. But if you got into a car accident, and were really injured and had scars on you, you would not look in the mirror and say, when are these scars going to go going to go away 100%. Uh-huh. There will come a day when you look in the mirror and you say, yeah, my scars, they're, they're healing, it's good enough, I'm going to get out there and live my life again. And that is what we have to think about for people who have had this kind of longer term smell loss, to not focus on um, only wanting to have 100% back, but instead say, how much do you need to have a, a good quality of life? And this is where smell training is so important, because I always think that the phrase smell training is just a, not quite right. It really should be called smell awareness and smell training. Mm-hmm. And by doing the smell training, you become much more in tune to what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And that is so important in getting the nuance back to raising your threshold. Um, so, so lots and lots of people say, well, I can smell something if I hold it up to my nose, but I really can't taste my food at all. And again, that's a question of degree. And it's perfectly normal. Um, but those things will take time. And smell training will help. So would you further that and 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 compare smell training to physical therapy? Absolutely. It, it is, it is like physiotherapy or, and, and more, it's more even closely um, related to stroke rehab. Oh, so ah. st- in stroke rehab, you are there to establish new neural pathways. So if you imagine um, you, you go to the, to the uh, rehab center and you stand on that thing with the, the two long bars, you know, and you're trying to learn to walk again. Yeah. And the first day you stand there and you say to yourself, right foot, move forward two inches and nothing happens. Hmm. And that is that is the experience of people when they first start to smell train. And so when someone says to me, smell training, I don't smell anything. So what's the point? I always say, no, 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 that is exactly the point. You must you must keep trying the the amazing thing about smell training is that um, I, I explained to you how a, a, a volatile molecule goes up the nostril, gets to the those those nerves uh, high in the olfactory cleft, and then that sends a cascade of messages up through the brain. But that also works in reverse. There's something called the top-down effect, and that's where you think about something, you recall a memory, you prime yourself to experience something. And this is exactly what happens when you go into a restaurant. 
have the wine sommelier comes over and says, "May I present you this fantastic bottle of wine?" And you'll note when you when you when you taste it that it's you know it's very smooth on the palate and it has this note and that note, and you'll taste red currants or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's called that's priming you. That is the top down effect. So that that's why I go to my favorite restaurant and order my favorite meal because I already know what it's going to taste like and I'm ready. Exactly. Exactly. So this top-down effect is very powerful and it is what we employ to actually help the new neural pathways establish. There is a misconception that smell training is all about what you get out of the jar. But it's nothing like that. It's really about what your brain does while you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And so to when you smell train, it's so important to think about what you're doing. That's why it's I as for shorthand I say to be mindful in your smell training, but that you concentrate on what you're doing, you recall any uh, any experiences you might have. Of course, smells can be very emotive. We all know that. I mean, if I asked you to um, imagine that you were peeling back the paper on a crayon, oh. smelling that crayon, or even putting it into your mouth, you would you would know <laughs> exactly what it felt like, smelled like, and tasted like. Mm-hmm. Play-Doh. Play-Doh is another one. Oh, yeah. We all did that as kids. We all did that. We made little balls. We stuck them in our nostrils. <laughs> but uh, and and those kind of smell memories are extremely powerful because they are uh, they come from a time when you know we have we had happy memories associated. I don't know, maybe unhappy memories, but all these things conspire to make smell a much more important thing than we give it credit for. For for. Folks who have not experienced it, it is incredibly disconcerting to and to even want to remember what it must smell like and not be able to do so, you know. Yeah. Well, especially some some people we're, we've been speaking to have lost it for long enough where they say, I don't quite remember what this should smell and taste like. You know, it takes them so long. They f- they're so far removed from it. And um i'm sure the anxiety exists in their minds of when if and when this ever comes back is it going to be different is it going to be tainted is it going to be am i not going to like this particular smell and taste ever again when previously it had been someone's favorite mm-hmm. i can say with uh with experience that after now I had I was up to eight years since my initial smell loss when I lost my sense of smell for the second time, but as I just before I lost my sense of smell with COVID, um, I can say confidently that after that period of time, your brain is filling in the blanks, and pretty mm-hmm. soon, you know, coffee smells so familiar to you, or let's say new coffee smells so familiar to you that you don't get that disconnect when you smell it and go, ugh, that's not coffee the way I remember it. Mm. So so there is, um, for anyone who is listening to this and thinking, I'm never going to get used to this, uh, you may think you're never going to get used to it, but your brain has a way of adapting without telling you about it. 
So that is something that is, um, I, I think that people can can feel confident about that in time, it will write itself. What I do notice about new people coming into the group, um, and, and now we, we've got these huge Facebook groups, but we've also opened up a new network uh, on the Mighty Networks, and we have that sign posted in our Facebook groups. The, the new network is a much quieter um, area where you can absolutely choose the kind of subjects that you're interested in. So it makes a much more convenient place to converse with people who are like you. Mm-hmm. And what I notice about uh, new members coming in is that very often there is a very, very high pitch of anxiety. And I see this as two different things. So you have the anxiety over losing your senses. Um, you're, you're dealing with that bereavement, the interruption of that sensory experience. But then you have that is cloaked in an outer level of anxiety. So you've got a little person in your head who is pressing the panic button every two mm-hmm. minutes saying, when, is, when am I going to get my sense of smell back? When am I going to get my sense of smell back? And so it's really important that we um, help people kind of uh, step outside of themselves and look at it objectively. And one of the ways we do that is by giving people a kind of crash course, helping them understand what is really going on, because it's the not knowing. It's the it's the uh, oh my god, am I the only one like this yeah. sort of feeling that is making people uh, feel so you know panicked. panicked. And we're we're seeing that with every symptom related to COVID nineteen, because even if you just have a mild case, no doctor can tell you when you're going to feel better. You know, I I had very mild symptoms and they lasted two months uh, long after I tested negative. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's really wonderful that you actually touched on that. I want to, I want to ask one question further of distinction to better understand myself and also um, for our listeners, would you describe all that you've experienced in working with loss of smell and taste and parosmia, I know that there's a, a, now a number of different variations on it. Would you describe this as primarily a neurological um, uh, injury, a neurological injury, or is it neurological and physiological? I don't, I'm not a scientist. I don't know the right distinctions to make. Well, I mean, the, the olfactory bulb resides in the brain. I mean, this is the thing, you know, we actually smell with our brains um, and the the uh, olfactory epithelium, which is at the top of the olfactory cleft. Those are little nerves that are that are dangling down uh, into the environment from mm. the brain. And I mean, this is, of course, the this is the reason why people snort drugs, because when they snort drugs, those drugs are going directly to brain tissue. What, what is essentially brain tissue. Oh, wow. So, I never thought about that. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I heard a wonderful comment from, I was attending a lecture by a famous ENT uh, last week who said that um, it's, it, 
your nose is the only bit of your respiratory system that you can stick your finger into, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of like that. You know, it is it is part of the greater respiratory system, and yeah. uh, that is also related to the brain. So it is the it is the one place where you can, you know, you can take the environment and you can bring it into your brain. It's, it's, an amazing it's so funny the faces that Caroline is making. I wish it's the minute you started talking about sticking your finger in your nose. She started. It looked like her nose was itching. Like, yeah, yeah. My nose actually, like it, when you're talking about it, I've got this like intense desire to just like check and make sure everything's okay up there. I'm not gonna pick my nose in front of you, but my nose is tickly right now. Your eyes even started to water. That's hilarious. <laughs> That that's fascinating, and that thank you. That because I when I first heard, and, and can I can I add a, something else that's really Please. interesting? Um, the, the olfactory nerve regenerates, and we know that it regenerates well. And why is that? That it's because that because of this privileged place that the olfactory uh, epithelium is is sitting in, where it is it, it is exposed to the environment. Of course, the environment is always dragging up a lot of junk, you know, dirt and, and environmental pollutants and things like that. So that tissue gets degraded all the time and it has to slough off and new ones have to regenerate. Oh. So that is working in our favor um, to, you know, it's not uh, it's not all nerves that regenerate that well. So we can so build for this. Yeah, that's good news. Yeah. Very good news. Well, thank you so much. This has been so educational and also inspirational. I hope that anybody who's listening who is suffering through this is feeling a lot more hope and understanding of why this is doing it, how it's operating, and uh, what you can do to give yourself a bit of relief and to encourage yourself to get back to get onto a better track to make yourself feel better. So, uh, Chrissy, thank you so much for for joining us. Can I add one more message? Chrissy, yes, of course you can. Um, one of the things that we have done in this past year in our Facebook group is provide researchers that we work with with a lot of information about what's going on in the lives of patients who have lost their sense of smell. And we've been doing this in our Facebook uh, group in a very organized way and by collecting these uh, sort of free text comments, so just just the written comments that people put into the into the bar beneath the posts, um, and looking at those comments, analyzing those comments, and and sitting down together with researchers to think about what's really going on, we have actually contributed greatly to our understanding of parosmia, for example. That's wonderful. And and what I and what the message that I want to tell people listening is, if you can join a group like that uh, for you know whatever area of of uh, COVID nineteen um, you know uh, sort of um, symptoms that you have now, and it can be done in the right way, the contributions that everyone makes just talking about their experience has the capacity to move the research on. Um, as we've already discussed here, nobody really knows about COVID-19, and it takes a long time for science to happen. Most of the time for science to happen, we need data points. We need people to fill out surveys. 
We need patients to um, be interviewed and things like that. So the more patients can give back to the research community about their experience, the faster that research will go. So it really is, it has to be a combined effort between patients and researchers. And so that's, that is one of the things that we stand for at Absent. And I hope that in the other kind of symptom categories, there are people, I know there's a great group for COVID kids. Um, uh, you know, I don't have that much uh, experience with the other kind of COVID groups, but I do think that this is the way forward. Patients have to be involved and they have to tell their stories. I love that so much. Everybody go get on Facebook, make your comments, share your stories, please. Yeah. We beseech you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Chrissy, thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. I'm so excited to put this out into the world and hopefully provide some information and relief for other people. Yes. And thank you for, for starting this community Yeah, um, and being there when this hit. Hey, this is Caroline. And Raymond. Thank you so much for listening to Fatigued. From patients to paramedics, long haulers to lessons learned. Sure, it's the same virus, but these are very different stories. If you have a question or a story you'd like us to address on an episode, please email us at fatiguedpodcast at gmail.com. That's F-A-T-I-G-U-E-D podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Clubhouse. Right? Clubhouse, what is that? I don't even know, but whatever it is, we're here to offer genuine conversation so we can humanize the issues surrounding COVID and the pandemic. These stories deserve the space to be remembered, and we relish the opportunity for connection in this isolated time. Perhaps you will, too. Stay positive. Test negative. And thanks for listening. Bye.